Good morning once again and welcome. Thank you for being with us and for sticking with us this morning. I don't know if you've ever had that car ride with your kids where you were just going somewhere and it didn't really matter by the time you got there where you were going. You just were happy to get out of the car and finally get there. You ever had that? That's kind of what today has been like for me. I'm just glad we're finally here uh, as I step up to preach to you this morning. We'll be in the book of Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Before we do, a couple of things I need to make reference to first and foremost. And of course, I left this as well. Um, why wouldn't I, right? Uh, there is a ballot in your worship folder this morning. And if you're a member of Malvern Hill, uh, we would ask you to uh, take that out. If you're a guest, we love you and we'd love for you to look at that. But obviously, uh, this is a, a privilege of membership here at Malvern Hill. Um, and to vote for our uh, incoming deacons. This year, we have the ability to appoint five new deacons. We only have four who, have, uh, who are qualified and have agreed to serve uh, thus, thus far. So um, I should say four who were nominate, nominated, qualified, and agreed to serve um, according with our, our church's documents. So, um, uh, which means basically the vote this morning will be a vote of affirmation because all four of those names listed will necessarily become deacons for the upcoming church year. But we would still like it if you would indicate your vote on that ballot this morning. And on your way out, you can drop that in one of the orange buckets. So we're going to stick with the orange buckets for a while because they're visible. And that's what we've been doing outdoors. So that'll be uh, the same place for you to put your offering in and to put your deacon ballot in this morning. We would really appreciate that. For those of you who, uh, I should probably say for both of you in here, who are concerned about the upcoming church year, because I know that many of you haven't, haven't thought too much about it. The church here usually runs from September and on around. Um, our nominating committee is working right now to fill those necessary holes that we have and, and necessary additions and committees. What, what am I doing wrong? Oh, thank you. I will. Um, but our nominating committee is working to, um, to do that right now. It's going to probably end up just as a result of everything kind of, kind of getting pushed, being about October before we're able to affirm those new new roles for things like our budget finance personnel committee so as need arises obviously those folks who are currently serving will serve until such time as we uh, receive all that from the nominating committee also I was supposed to mention there is an online opportunity for you to vote for Deacon so if you're at home you're watching us online you can still do that you should have received that in your email there was a link in that email you sent out correct if not we will make sure that you get that uh, I was supposed to send that is that what you're telling me Okay, I was supposed to, y'all, this day, keep, if we don't get to preach in a minute, um, I will make sure that you have that in your inbox before you wake up in the morning. How about that? And we will get that to you. All right, Hebrews chapter 9. Scott Taylor said, Craig, I think God might have something big to do this morning, as many hoops as we've had to jump through. And so um, uh, I know this. I know that anytime God's word is preached and the Holy Spirit of God shows up, it's a miracle of epic proportions. And we should celebrate the opportunity that we have to come face to face with the living God of the universe as he's revealed through his Holy Spirit and through his word. And so this morning, as we gather together, and, and, and it has been a rush and a throw together, and, and y'all should thank all those folks that are involved with setup. Some of us look kind of like drowned rats up here because we've been running around like chickens with our heads cut off. But you know what? In spite of all of that, none of those obstacles get in the way of the work of the Holy Spirit of God. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to read verses 11 through 14 and then 27 through 28. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's word. 
But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Excuse me. And then we turn to verses 27 and 28. And just just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment... So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Let's pray one more time. Father God in heaven, I pray that you would meet with us. Father, I'm reminded of Psalm 4610, be still and know that you are God. Father, in the midst of all of our busyness this morning, our going, our coming, Father God, in the midst of so many things going wrong, at least in accordance with our plans. Father, I pray that we would stop, take a deep breath, remember who it is that we serve and whose we are. Please meet with us this morning. Speak to us through your word and show us, God, the power of the cross of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. So here we are, gathered in the sanctuary. Not in accordance with our plans this morning. Uh, not in accordance with our desires. And if you don't believe that, just look around. I mean, we had everything set up outside. All the things had been done. And yet, there we were forced to make a decision. And of course, just so we can continue the pattern of, ugh, this morning, in addition to doing all that, about the time everything got inside, the sun came out. Why is it this way? I don't know. Um, but I do know that as we come to the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, we can be reminded how much more the blood of Christ has accomplished for us. Welcome to worship. God is not caught off guard. He is not surprised. God is good and he's given us a dry, air-conditioned place to worship him together. And I'm so glad that you're here. If you're at home, I pray that your home is dry and air-conditioned as well. And I, I believe there may be even some of you that are out in our parking lot who showed up for outdoor worship this morning and you just stayed as what it looked like earlier. Can I tell you that regardless of where you are and what you have going on, God has a word for you. And this morning I want to ask this question. What did the cross of Christ accomplish? What did the blood of Christ accomplish on the cross of Calvary? This is maybe a bit of a patty cake answer, but is it too much to say that everything was accomplished on the cross of Calvary? See, the cross really did accomplish everything that we need. If Jesus had lived a perfectly great life as a wonderful teacher and then died a perfectly normal death and decomposed in a perfectly normal grave, we would still revere his teaching, but little would have been accomplished other than to help us live in a way that our lives are a little bit more fulfilling. But his good life wouldn't save us. If we live by the Sermon on the Mount, the world might be a little better place, but it wouldn't bring about peace with God. When I wrote your study guide, you can look at your three points there, I wrote this. Jesus purifies you from your sins. Jesus sets you free to serve the Lord. And Jesus saves you from judgment. 
Now that is true, but he recognized that it's only true because of the cross. It's only true because of the cross. If Jesus had done everything else but had not died on the cross and rose from the grave, you would not be clean. You would not be free and you would not be safe from judgment. If Jesus had done everything but die, you would still be stuck and so would I. And so this morning, I want us to pivot just a little bit and to see it's, it's not simply that Jesus purifies you from your sins. It is the cross that purifies you from your sins. It is the cross that sets you free to serve the Lord. And it is the cross that saves you from judgment. First thing we see this morning is the cross purifies you from your sins. Now in verse 11 of chapter 9, it says, When Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have that have come then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood, of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. Now what in the world are we talking about? If you'll look, and it's going to be one of your study questions this week, back in the book of Mark, Jesus said, and, and he's, he, as he's standing before uh, the, 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 the religious leaders and the high priest, before he's going to be crucified, they say, is it true? Did you really say that you would tear down this tent or this temple and raise it back up in three days? Now, what we know is that Jesus wasn't speaking of the earthly temple, but the temple of his body. And it is absolutely true that he said that he would tear it down and it would be raised again in three days. When the book of Hebrews gives us this picture of the blood of Christ making atonement, what the writer to the Hebrews wants us to understand, and he makes this clear really from chapter 9, verse 1, all the way through verse 10. He paints a picture of the earthly tent, the tabernacle or the temple as it was later constructed. And there within that earthly tent, the place of worship where the Spirit of God was seen to reside, where the Holy of Holies was, um, and inside that Holy of Holies, you can look up there if you ever wonder what was in it, in chapter 9, verse 4, it had the golden altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant, covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablet of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Folks, when you walked into the Holy of Holies, it was an impressive place. In it, at its centerpiece, was the Ark of the Covenant of God. And the Ark of the Covenant of God was seen to represent the throne of God. If you go to the book of Ezekiel and you see what the throne of God would look like in the book of Ezekiel, it resembles what we see laid out on the Ark of the Covenant. The cherubim of God. What are cherubim? They are not those, those sort of uh, fat little baby angels that you see in a Christian bookstore, remember? The cherubim are, are soldiers in God's army. These are terrifying creatures. Again, turn to the book of Ezekiel and you will see some pictures of the cherubim and it gives you nightmares at night. Their job is as God's soldiers, as, as hosts of God's army. And so we've got these picture of these cherubim with their wings spread wide. The wings would touch on the Ark of the Covenant. You walk in and this is what you see. It's covered in gold. It's breathtaking. It's awe-inspiring. And it was reserved only for the high priest of God who went in there only one time of the year, who went in, and who went in there only one time of the year for one purpose and one purpose only. And the purpose of the high priest walking into the Holy of Holies, the most holy place within the tabernacle, was to make atonement for the sins of the people. 
Now, it was separated by a thick curtain of veil. It's all the other things that needed to take place in the temple or in the tent prior to the building of the temple. I'm, I'm using those, those terms interchangeably because understand that the, they, they serve the same purpose. The tabernacle or the tent was the, 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 the meeting place for God's people until such time as, as Solomon would build the temple. All right, So they, they're the same purpose even though one is you know, set stationary and the other is movable. But as the priests would walk in, they would do all the other things. But one time a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go in and he would make atonement for the sins of the people. Do you recognize that the people were not allowed in there? Even the other priests were not allowed in there. Only one man, one time a year for one purpose, was allowed to walk in to the Holy of Holies. Matter of fact, we're told that to preserve the holiness of that place, that when the high priest would go in, they would tie a rope around his ankle. So that if the Lord struck him dead, or if by some other natural cause he were to die while he was in there performing his ritual duties, no one else would go into that place and defile it. Instead, he would be pulled out by the rope that was tied around his leg. And so when the Bible teaches us in the book of Hebrews that Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent made with hands uh, excuse me made not with hands and not of this creation he entered once for all into the holy places not by means of the blood of goats and calves but the means of his own blood what they want us to understand is that once and for all the great high priest who is Jesus Christ has walked into the most holy place no longer is there a need for a yearly atonement to be offered because the atonement that matters most has already taken place. Jesus has become our perfect and ongoing atonement. Now what we know is that through his death, the veil of the temple was torn. Now what does that mean? Now the Bible wants us to know for certain that it was torn from the top to the bottom. So there's no doubt about whether, who tore the veil. It was God who brought about the rending of that curtain. And in so doing, what we understand is that we've all been given access into the very holiest of holy places of God. In other words, Jesus has made a perfect atonement for our sins and has made it possible for us to approach the throne room of God. Why do we not go into our prayer closets with a rope tied around our ankle? Because Jesus Christ has already suffered and died on our behalf. The death that was mine became His, and He has given me holiness through my salvation. Jesus, through the cross, purifies us from our sin. And His death was sufficient to purify us forever. The second thing we see this morning is that the cross sets us free to serve the Lord. What enables you to fulfill the purposes that God has for your life? Now, let's all smile because I'm going to tell you something that should feel pretty good. Do you know that God has a plan for you in your life? God has a purpose for you. Do you know that? Like, you're not just the extra Lego in the pack that came that doesn't go to anything. You're not a spare part. And don't give me that look. Every once in a while they put in an extra Lego, right? They don't put in extra pieces in a jigsaw puzzle. 
right? But if we wanted to compare, look, the church is more of a jigsaw puzzle than it is a pack, a model car parts or, or, or a Lego pack. There are no extra pieces. God has a purpose for your life. God has a plan for your life. God desires for you to serve Him. Now, you go to places, and, and you'll see these in your study guide later in the week. You'll go to some, some places like uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that talks with us about the spiritual gifts that we've been given and the responsibilities and the roles that we have. How in the world could I hope to fulfill those purposes for which God has called me? I stand before you weekly and I preach the word of God. How could I ever hope to preach that word in a way that honors him? How can I stand up here and not be terrified in front of you? Sometimes I am. But what hope do I have? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You understand? We dare not trust the sweetest frame, but we wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. That's not only true in my salvation, in my sanctification, in my progressive holiness and righteousness. It's true in my responsibilities and privileges to fulfill the obligations that God has put upon me. God told me to do a job, but then God equips me to do the job. And how is it that we have that? The cross sets us Free. It's not our abilities. Instead, it is the cross. He says in verse 14, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit of God offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? The dead works. How much more does He set us free? Not to simply fulfill the, the desires of our flesh, not to simply chase after the passions of the world. How much more does he set us free to chase after those passions that come directly and strictly can't speak directly and strictly from God's word and God's Holy Spirit? Folks, do you know that God has given you abilities to serve him? Do you feel compelled to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, but you're terrified to do it? Can I tell you that God has equipped you to do that? You say, how in the world did that happen? Because Jesus Christ died on the cross to save us from our sin. And in so doing, he also set free our ambition. And then he baptizes our ambition. And he sanctifies our ambition. And he gives us these desires. Not simply to gratify and satisfy our flesh. He gives us these desires to gratify and satisfy the Holy Spirit of God. Listen, it's not your abilities. You will fail. You will make mistakes. And listen, when you, when you mess up, it, it'll feel terrible, right? Like a weight is tied around your neck. You may make a mistake and you just want to crawl in a hole. You should have known better. Maybe you did know better and you did it anyway. Maybe that mistake rises to the level of sin. Maybe you have gone against God's good purposes and good plans. And you know that you've sinned. Sometimes those mistakes don't rise to the level of sin, right? Sometimes those mistakes are just mistakes that we make. I should have walked this way and I walked that way. And as a result, I've gotten myself in a mess. Do you know that in the midst of all of that, that the cross of Jesus Christ is enough to set us free from the burdens of our own pride even that cause us to never, ever want to be wrong or to be mistaken or to mess up? Jesus Christ has set us free to serve Him. The cross sets us free to serve the Lord. 
The cross makes it okay when we mess up. Why? Because we aren't good enough. We will always fail to measure up. But Jesus has died to set us free. Free from the expectations of others. Free even from our own expectations. He died to set us free. The cross sets you free to serve the Lord. Hey, how about this? You ready? How about this one? There's no way that I could go and talk to somebody about Jesus because I know what my life was like, and they know me 20 years ago. We had a guy that was uh, uh, is, uh, a member of our church, and he, he tells a fantastic story about walking into it, uh, being at church, and a guy walks in, looks at him one day, and goes, you go here? He said, yeah. He said, man, I'm surprised to see you. He said, I'm surprised to see you too. How many of y'all were afraid the first time you walked into church, the place might catch on fire? Right? How many of you are terrified to have those conversations about purity with somebody because you know what your life was like before Christ? Can I tell you that Jesus has set you free to engage in service for Him? That your past has become a trophy of His grace and salvation? That when you look at your past, you can look at it with this great confidence that somewhere on a shelf in heaven, there's a gigantic trophy that's bigger than your head that says, dirty, rotten, nasty sinner, saved by the grace of God. I wonder sometimes if God doesn't look down. Perhaps Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the, the Trinity, the Godhead, are gathered. And perhaps there's an angel around in heaven sometimes. And I wonder if perhaps, I don't know, it's probably not like this, but I kind of want it to be, because I'm competitive, right? I kind of occasionally want it to be like, like Jesus like punches an angel and says, hey, you see that one? And you go, oh yeah, I've seen that one. I've been where he's been. It's not a good place. Jesus has watched this. I can save that one too. I wonder if there might even be an angel in heaven that would say, that one? And the Holy Spirit of God says, watch that one heart break and watch that sinner become a saint and watch that story of sin become a testimony of grace watch them become a proclaimer of God's grace are you worried about what your past is like Folks, the Bible says that Jesus takes our sin and he casts it as far as the east is from the west. I'm not sure how far that is. Neither are you. That's the point. He throws it away and it's never found again. The only good that your past serves in Christ's story is to proclaim the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Man, what a God we serve. The cross sets you free to serve the Lord. And then finally, the cross saves you from judgment. Now, this is where we get to the end of Hebrews 9. If you wondered why we skipped ahead, that's where we get there. It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. You know, the day is coming when we will all stand before the Lord. The day is coming when we will all stand before the Lord. And we will have to give an answer for this life that we lived. It is appointed for man to die once, and after that, the judgment. The joke has always been that there are two sure things in life, right? Death and taxes. Well, coronavirus showed us that even taxes might get pushed back. But when the Lord God calls you home, you are going, folks. 
When you are born, you begin a countdown clock. And none of us knows for sure when it will run out. But we all know that the day is coming. Because it is appointed for man and woman to die once. And after that comes the judgment. Now many of you sit there and you go, what's the big deal? I'll, I'll get there one day. Folks, I attended a funeral this week for a 45-year-old man. He was a friend. He was a good man who served his community and his family. But on Monday afternoon, after a battle with brain cancer, he stood before the Lord. He left behind a wife and four children. And it broke my heart. But he stood before the Lord. He was a good guy that the whole world loved. And he stood there on Monday afternoon. What was his hope? Was his hope his smile? Or that he was a good father? Or that he was a good husband? No. His hope was this. That Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Reed Boyer's hope on Monday was that Jesus Christ had died for his sins. But how? What hope do we have? How could Reed have that hope? And how can you? To this point, we've considered much of Hebrews chapter 9 but have neglected one verse. Perhaps the one verse upon which this entire chapter turns, and in some ways a verse upon which the entire New Testament turns. hope you still have your Bible open. It's not raining inside. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. It says this, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Ten years or so ago, I was in London with a couple of guys from our church. Uh, debating a uh, Muslim scholar in Hyde Park. And just to be totally honest, I was trying to keep my head above water. This guy was working me pretty good. And I didn't know where to go. Because he said Jesus was a fine man and we acknowledge him as a prophet. But he didn't really die. You're mistaken. Your New Testament is corrupted. The Bible is corrupted. Muhammad, he is the prophet. Why would God let his man die? If he is God, or the son of God, or a prophet of God, why would he die? He said he didn't die. And if he did die, he was no son of God. And folks, in desperation, I threw out Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. I said, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. He said, that one's in the New Testament. It's corrupted. I don't accept that verse. And he sent me reeling. And what he did is he ran to the Old Testament. And he, he spoke in the Old Testament about one of the provisions for the law. In the law that the Lord makes. And if you go, you'll, you'll find that the Lord makes provisions for the poor. And if you can't afford a lamb or a goat or a heifer, then you could bring 
a dove, and if you couldn't afford a dove, you could bring a pigeon. And if you couldn't afford a pigeon, what would you bring? Anybody remember? I didn't want to answer the man as he was because I knew where he was going, and I couldn't find a way out of the hole that I was getting dug into. Because the answer is flour. The Old Testament makes an allowance for the poor that couldn't afford a blood sacrifice to bring flour. And he said, see there? Blood is not necessary for the forgiveness of sins. Now in that moment, I couldn't find a way out. Except for the book of Job. And I ran there. And I said, but what about Job? He said, what about Job? So what about Job who begged for an arbiter to go between? And he walked away. But I was so frustrated because there were the crowd of 50, 75, 100 people thronging in. I'd been backed into a corner apologetically and I couldn't find my way out. But the reason was because I didn't think long enough. And I didn't remember God's word strong enough. You see, it is true that... The Lord made an allowance for the poor to offer a sacrifice of flour. But it is also true that that sacrifice of flour was mixed with the blood of the sacrifices of others. It is also true that though the poor were allowed to offer a sacrifice of flour for their own sin, that they were in desperate need for the holy priest of God to enter into the holy of holies one time a year and to make sacrifice for their sins in the place of atonement. It was true that all people, all time, for every place that's ever been are in desperate need. For the blood to be shed so that their sins could be forgiven. You see, he took me back to the law. But I should have taken him back to the garden. Because that deep truth of God's power and grace and forgiveness was given not in the law, but in the garden. Because there in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned and were made well aware of their own nakedness and of their shame, they sought to sew together for themselves coverings of fig leaves. But the Lord God, seeing them in their pitiful estate, said, I will fix this. And there in that place, the Lord made a covering for them of animal skins. And in that place, for the very first time, death entered the world. Because an animal had to die so that Adam and Eve could be made right. But of course we know that those clothes would wear out. There would be the need continually for their sin to be recovered. There would be the regular need for there to be death so that their sins could be atoned for. So it is that we run all the way back to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. You see, it was necessary according to the law of God after it had been given. That even there, once the law had been given and Moses came down with the tablets, that the tablets were sprinkled with blood. The sprinkling ratified the covenant. Right? So, so, so it serves two purposes. The first thing is there's a sprinkling of the people and a sprinkling of the tablets. And essentially, so be to me if I do not fulfill the requirements of this covenant. So in other words, may my blood be shed, the people said. And by the, the, the blood being sprinkled on the altar and on the tablets, it was as though God were saying, and so be to me if I don't fulfill my responsibilities. 
But the blood was necessary for more than that. The blood was necessary for the forgiveness of sins. The blood. The blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. How can we be saved from the judgment of God that we deserve because of our sins? The blood of goats and bulls will never be enough. They only pointed to a greater sacrifice that was to come. Our blood could never atone because it is tainted with our sin. But the blood of the spotless Lamb of God is sufficient to bring about the forgiveness of our sins. What did the blood of Christ accomplish? Everything that we could not do. Everything that we could not do. And so this morning we've come and we've gathered for worship. And the day has gone in many ways about as wrong as it could. For goodness sakes, I tried to baptize at the wrong time. We're half an hour later than we expected to be. You're in seating, sitting where you didn't expect to sit. We've had sound issues. We've had water issues. That baptistry was six degrees. I'm telling you, it was so cold. And I couldn't help but reflect upon the title of my sermon. How much more? The first thing I want to say is, God, how much more can we take? How much more will there be this morning, Lord? But how short-sighted would that be? When instead we could be saying, how much more do I owe? How much more can I give? How much more blessed could I be? How much more could I have asked for? That's the hope we have in Jesus Christ. But it's really important this morning that you take your pen, if you're taking notes, and you strike out Jesus at the first of each one of those three points, and you put the cross. Because had it not been for the cross in an empty tomb, Jesus would be a great historical figure to study. And he would be a subject of literature classes and philosophy classes and history classes. But as it stands, many of them want to push him out. And the reason they don't want him there is because he doesn't fit the mold. See, Jesus demands not merely to be studied. Jesus demands to be worshipped. And he can demand to be worshipped. Because on the cross... He saved us from our sins. On the cross, He set us free to serve Him. And on the cross, He saves you from judgment. It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. This morning, if you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to be right down here front. I'll put my mask on so that you could feel comfortable. If you come up and you want me to take it off, I'll take it off so that you will feel comfortable. But if you want to make a decision to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, today can be the day of your salvation. If you're at home 
and you want to make a decision to trust Christ, today can be the day of your salvation. If you're in the parking lot and you want to make a decision to trust Christ, today can be the day of your salvation. Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You know what, though? If you're here this morning, you're in, 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 in here with us. You'd like to join our church. Today could be the day of that to happen. If you've got questions about what that looks like, however it is that I may minister to you, I would love to do so. Let me pray, and then we're going to stand and sing. And folks, I've enjoyed being outside, and I assume we'll be back outside. But I'm going to tell you there's something joyful about singing inside because I can hear y'all. And so when we stand to sing, let's praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for loving us. I thank you that you've made a way through the blood of Jesus Christ for us to be one with you. May we serve you well.